Hi, this is Brian Maddox. Welcome to another episode of The Consulting Trap. I'm here today with Tom Augenthaler of 551 Media, but you can also find him at The Influence Marketer. Welcome, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Tom, could you do us a favor and tell us a little bit more about your background and where you come from? Sure. I uh, I describe myself as a recovering PR person. So I, for many years, uh, worked and lived within uh, the PR establishment. So I worked for a number of global agencies in the past, and then I eventually moved over to the corporate side of the business and worked for HP. And while at HP, um, I was part of what was known as their PSG division. It's one when the company was just one big conglomerate, you know, and the personal systems group was the, was the division I worked within and I handled consumer laptops, um, for them on a worldwide level in PR. And that's where I got started with influencer marketing. And um, at, th- at that time, though, back in 07 or so, when I started it, we didn't refer to anybody as an influencer. It was all, you know, you were, they were bloggers for the most part, right? Um, some of the social networks or platforms like Twitter and Facebook were still pretty nascent. Um, so, we just, uh, you know, just referred to everybody's bloggers because that's what they did. And that was the trend at the time. So that's that's a little bit of, of, of my background there. How did you, um, you, you know, when you made went through the decision-making process when you started your own practice, um, how did you take that, um, that interest in helping, I guess, leverage bloggers as part of, um, of your PR and marketing strategy? How did you decide to turn that into business? What were the steps you took? Yeah. Um, well, I <clears throat> the way it happened was this. I didn't I didn't jump out onto my into my onto my own of my own volition. What happened was the company sort of imploded, and I didn't have a choice. <laughs> so it was either go find another job or do something on your own. And I figured, well, maybe this is a great opportunity for me to try to just do it on my own because you know I I run all these accounts anyway for the company. Why not just why not just do it on my own? So <clears throat> that's what I ended up doing. Um, and it, it was sort of a you know quick decision because I didn't have a lot of time to dwell on it. Um, so, <laughs> so what I decided to do was, though, um, because I had been concentrating on the B2B aspect of influencer marketing, and I knew there were not a lot of practitioners out there doing that, I decided to focus on that. Um, at first I figured I could still do some of the B2C work as well, but a lot of that market had moved, uh, while I was doing the B2B stuff and it was hard to catch up. So I decided that rather than try to catch up, I would just concentrate my time and effort on the B2B market. And that's proven to be, you know, pretty, a pretty good choice. So. It sounds like at the same time you were kind of figuring out what you were going to do in the face of a business situation that you had no control over, you decided to start a practice and 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 a practice in a place that maybe there wasn't a ton of established uh, uh, development in that market. How did you put all of those things together and get your first couple of clients? That's a good question. Um, it wasn't easy at first. You you don't say. (laughs) Say that, okay. So 
I think we all have a tendency when we're working inside of an organization to put blinders on. So what we end up doing is, and I know this happened to me, I had blinders on and I was so focused and concentrated on doing the client work that I wasn't really paying too much attention to the outside market. So I wasn't as up to date with it as I should have been. I was to a degree, of course, as as necessity demands when you're working with a client, you know, because they ask you things and you need to stay on top of topics and tools and, you know, things like that. But I wasn't to the degree that I should have been. Let's put it that way. And I don't think that's uncommon, though, Brian. I think that's pretty... I think I think that's pretty common. I think that's what happens with people. I think it's just human nature, right? Um, so I tried not to beat myself up too much for that, but I had to dive in and I had to get a lot more educated pretty quickly on what was happening in the marketplace that I had not been paying attention to. So what I noticed quickly was on the consumer side of influencer marketing, which I wanted to concentrate on that. Rather, I didn't want to do PR. I didn't want to go back to all some things I'd done like that in the past. So I wanted to concentrate on the influencer marketing aspect, but the consumer side had advanced a lot. There were a lot more tools and platforms and competition and stuff. So I kind of viewed that as what they call a red ocean. So there's a lot of fish feeding in the ocean and there's a lot of blood in the water. So I decided the B2B aspect would be better, which seemed like a very wide blue ocean. Um, So, okay, that's, Great. Sounds great. You'll hear that all talked about by these marketing gurus. But at the same time, all right, well, how do you get your first client? Well, what I ended up doing, my man, is rattling the bushes of everyone I knew. So I just started saying to everybody, you know, I'd get on, I'd I'd contact them via LinkedIn. I'd contact them via Twitter. I'd contact them on email. I'd, I'd contact people I hadn't talked to in a long time. And I just say, hey, look, I'm out here. I'm doing this. I'm I'm on my own. I put together a quick website, you know, that I thought would convey what I did clearly and um, say it with some authority. However, I'll tell you, I've been through many iterations of the website and there are probably future iterations coming because you just can't let it sit there that long without updating it, right? So anyway, That's kind of what I did. And then I landed a couple of small clients, small pieces of business, and that sort of built my confidence level. Now, the first thing I noticed that when I went out on my own was I no longer had a team of people to rely on. And this is a big deal, right? So in the, you know, when I was working, even with the small consulting firm that I went when I left HP. There were a number of us that would back each other up on stuff. And then I could also run things by other people on the team and say, hey, could you take a look at this? Is there anything I'm leaving out? You know, maybe it needs a little editing. There's none of that. Now it's just me. Okay. So I had to really double down and be a lot more cognizant of every little detail. Now, I'm very detailed when it comes to client work anyway, but now I had to do that for myself as well. So that wasn't really easy. Um, So the first, like I said, the first thing I did was I looked for business through referrals. And um, I know that referrals are really not a great way to run your business, Um, not if you're going to systematize it. So what I decided to do then was, is put out some consistent content on platforms where I believed my 
ideal buyers were paying attention, where they were operating. Um, so, yeah, maybe that was Facebook to a degree, maybe Instagram, but there's a lot of distraction out there. So I decided to just focus it down to LinkedIn with a little bit of Twitter. And LinkedIn is where all I know, I know all of my buying audience is there to one degree or, or another. They're there. Right. So I decided to double down on LinkedIn and really concentrate my efforts there. So I did two things. Uh, one, I created and published organic content there. Um, and then the second thing was I hired a small firm and I had the funds available to help me reach out using Sales Navigator uh, for my ideal buyers. Um, and I worked up a, you know, a script, if you want to call it that, um, you know, through the messenger app there mm -hmm. on Sales mm -hmm. Navigator uh, to reach out to what looked like good prospects just to get them into a dialogue, not to sell them overtly, but just to get them into a dialogue and let them let them be, make them aware of wh who I am and what I'm doing and how I might be able to service them. And, you know, a lot of them say no thanks or they just ignore you or whatever, but there's a percentage that will say, yeah, you know, we've been thinking about this. So then what I do then is I, I get that into a conversation. I may send them a couple of documents to kind of give them a better idea, a deeper idea about what I do and how I do it. And then I get on a Zoom call and talk to them. So I'm at a point now, Brian, where, you know, I have a number of clients that are pretty steady. So I'm I'm very fortunate that way, but I'm always looking for more, of course. But I could be a bit selective at this point. And if I figure that the client is going to be a problem client, then I don't take them on. So what I've learned is over time that, and sometimes you have to do this when you're starting out, you just have to do it. And But you're going to learn a lot if you take notes and pay attention to what's happening. You will take on a client or two that's a real pain in the ass. And they really will ask you to do much more than you've contracted to do. They're constantly coming back to you with this, with that problem. You know, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You know, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And at first, you'll do all of that because you kind of have to, right, to keep them happy. But what I did was I kind of figured out, well, what kind of a psychological profile is that <laughs> of these types of people that, that behave that way? And, you know, what can I do to sort of sniff that out in the future and then stay away from it? So that's what I do now. So I, I, I'm pretty careful and selective about who I choose to take on as a client. Now, it's no guarantee that they're not going to become a problem down the road, but I think I have a much better idea now about what kind of a personality might become that way. Right. You know, because I'm looking for long-term clients to work with, have a great relationship with, get dynamite results for, um, but it's got to be enjoyable to me too. I mean, yeah. I love doing what I do and I love sharing all the knowledge and insights I have acquired over time with my clients. Um, but at the same time, I'm not willing to put up with a lot of crap anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. Life's too short. Yeah. Right? So you said something uh, uh, relatively early on there, and I want to I want to go back to it. And I, I know it may be circling the conversation back to a, a, an earlier time. But one of the things that um, I think it, I think it relates to where you're at now as well. 
One of the things that um, stood out to me was, you know, you talked about going out and pounding the pavement on LinkedIn. You talked about uh, trying to build that referral. Um, what what you didn't talk about is how did you build, like, how did you figure out what you were going to sell these folks? Because it sounds like you were in that blue ocean strategy kind of mindset. You got to figure out what you're going to sell folks. You need to have a service offering. How did you structure that? And how has that changed now that you know what a pain in the butt client looks like? That's a really good question. Um, well, I had to figure, you know, there was a back when I was still at that consulting firm, right, before before things went awry. Um, I sat down with a client of mine in New York named Erin, and she was a she was a wonderful, brilliant, uh, creative woman. Unfortunately, she died of cancer several years ago. Um, but I and I miss her to this day because she was just such a one of those people is a shining light in your life, you know. And um, I remember sitting down with her over coffee in New York, and we were doing some work for her, uh, her company. And she asked me, so do you guys operate as a consultancy or an agency? And I couldn't answer that. And I was like, wow, that is a great question. Because internally, we had been so busy doing the work, we didn't sit around a lot thinking about, hmm, how, you know, how are we positioning ourselves to the market? Um, we were just, you know, trying to take on clients, build the business, all that kind of stuff, service the clients really well. So, um, and like I said, I was neck deep in client work. So I didn't, uh, you know, I had even less, you know, to do with that. So right. I... I brought that back to them and I said, and I opened the conversation with them about it and it, you know, we debated it and everything, but we never really decided on anything. So when I went off on my own, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not an agency. I don't want to be in the agency. I've been in the agency life before. I know what it's all about. Much of it is tactical. It's not strategic. They love to think they're strategic, but, and to a degree they are, but a consultant is much more strategic, right? Um, so I decided to, position myself as an as a consultant as a consultant typically uh the kind of product that you offer is so, is a is a monthly retainer so i decided to go with a monthly retainer and then but i decided also that i needed a couple of other products at least products that were more uh turnkey so mm. it was you know cuz not everybody needs a consultant so what else can you do to offer people something and so just by listening to the clients that i had and had had in the past i determined to put together these these products and they're and they're always evolving brian it's never sort of set in stone yeah yeah um because the market is always shifting a little bit right and you've got to stay on top of things like on wall street that you know they're always selling different strategies and different things like that because the market demands shift so a a uh, a, you know, a, an investment strategy that worked 10 years ago might not work so well anymore, right? right. Because, because the market dynamics are different. So they have to come up with different products and services. So that's the way I view it too. Um, and as a result, I, I determined a couple of things. One, clients usually needed some kind of training. So if they didn't have the budget to hire me as a monthly consultant, they could hire me to train their team to do what I do. So I designed a training uh, product, which I call impact intensives, because they're they're they designed to create to make an impact, and they're designed to be intensive. So it's a, it's a it's a deep dive learning over a series of Zoom calls, 
and I show you everything. Uh, what the only thing I require from the client up front is you got to show me some stuff under NDA. I'll sign any NDA you want, but you've got to divulge to me what your marketing strategy is, the objectives you've got, what you've been doing, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And then I can put together, I can tailor the training so that it's specific to you in your industry, in your company. So that tends to be pretty powerful. So did you launch with that training out of the gate no. or is that that's something you, that you built after the fact? After the fact, because I noticed that when I was working with some clients, they needed the education. Um, they had some information, but they weren't entirely educated. And I found that, you know, even with every client I have now, I have to educate them to a degree about who B2B influencers are, how they operate, you know, right. how I break down the different influencer types, because it's not the same as it is on the consumer side. On the consumer side, it's all about the size of the social following. And they've got these labels, you know, like celebrity and mega and macro and micro and all this stuff. And all, it's all artificial. And it's all determined by social media following size. So right. on the B2B side, it, that doesn't matter so much. Well, it's nice to have a few influencers in your Rolodex that have large followings, social followings, because you can use that to help amplify things. But right. a lot of it is about expertise and authority. Do they know what they're talking about? Do they have the experience to, to back it up? Where have they worked? Things like that. So <clears throat> that's a lot more important on the B2B side. So uh, the training is one thing. And then I I developed also a sort of a quick start program where I can secure some content quickly, long form content quickly with a set number of influencers. If the client fits within a certain parameters, um, mm -hmm. I can get that done for a flat fee. So <clears throat> those are a few things. And now I'm developing another product, which is around uh something completely different, like a podcast, but it, it, it involves other influencers and stuff. So, but essentially, Brian, I knew the consulting stuff worked because that's what I did. So I, I just focused on that at first and I took small projects at first, anything to get some money in the door and to start getting some traction. Um, and then I could start uh, gleaning from the clients that I had secured what their challenges were, what their concerns were, things like that. And that's what I would write about on LinkedIn and Twitter um, because I figured that that's the best way to reach other potential clients is talking about those challenges, right? Gotcha. So how do you, you know, now, of course, naturally, the next question is when you talk about the influencer stuff that you do, um, are you using that in your own work for your own business? Is that working for you as well? Yeah, it does. Um, I probably should do more of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Every consultant says I should do more of the stuff that they do for their clients for themselves. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I do do some of it. Um, it it's just time consuming, and um, I like to I like to really manage and do a lot of my own work. I uh, don't gotcha. feel entirely comfortable. Um, allowing other people to do that for me. I have some virtual assistants, which I've trained to do some things for me. Some of them help with my social media. Right. Uh, not with my LinkedIn, though. Anything I post on LinkedIn is written by me for a specific purpose. 
Um, they will help me with some of the other social media, which is fine. And then I've got, you know, some virtual assistants will help me with researching things and getting some of that kind of work done. But I go over all that they bring back to me and make sure that it is, in fact, what we need for that particular client or that particular campaign that they're gotcha. running. Um, but I should do more of it myself. I do do some of it, um, like I said, but it comes down to time. Um, and, you know, like right now I'm planning a campaign to sort of promote this new podcast product thing with involving influencers. So I'm putting some thoughts together around that now. Um, and I'll probably launch that in the early fall. So in September timeframe. Great. Yeah, keep us posted on that. That's something that uh, might be a great opportunity for podcast chef to help out with. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We cook up all sorts of good stuff. So um, we're running uh, running out of time here, but I want to make sure that we uh, get a couple key questions answered. Uh, mm -hmm. First things first, Tom. When folks that um, when folks want to reach out to you, first off, what who are the best folks to reach out to you, uh, and then how should they do so? Uh, yeah, so my ideal client is a B2B SaaS company, so software as a service, and there are thousands of them out there um, that has received the venture, the, the B round of venture funding. Um, because at that point, those companies are now really serious about their marketing and they're they're dialing up the staffing and they're putting the right people into place in these different positions. Um, I can also help B2B service companies as well. Um, it's a little bit more of a challenge sometimes, um, but the SaaS companies are my are, are pretty easy to work with. Hmm. Um, so that's what I like. I generally don't work with enterprises anymore, uh, only because it's so difficult to get paid to get into their <laughs> procurement system. <laughs> <laughs> and getting decisions made can take forever because this team's got to know this and that and da da da. Um, so <laughs> yeah, they they do not turn on a dime. We can they don't say. they don't work fast. I like to work fast, um, and I like to start getting some results in quickly if possible. Um, so that's why I say any you know medium sized company to one that's just received its B round of financing is generally the the sweet spot for me. And how should they reach out? Um, two ways are the best, uh, LinkedIn, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. And then secondly, my website, which is the influence marketer.com, uh, where I publish a lot of my long form content there, but I, um, I'm on LinkedIn every day. I mean, LinkedIn is like a virtual office for me. Gotcha. And so, um, the, the last question before we wrap up here is, you know, I think we've already got a good indicator of one of your sort of recommended reads. But um, can you tell us about some of the more influential uh, bits of education you received along the way or books that you've read that helped you in your quest? Uh, is it safe to say Blue Ocean Strategy is one of those books? Yeah, that's safe to say. Um, I'm going to I'm going to tell you something else. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of business books out there. Um some are better than others. Anne Handley is a good person to read. Um, if she's got a number of books out now, I'm looking at them, one of them right now, Everybody Writes. That is one of her books. Anne Handley, read her stuff. Um, she's a fantastic communicator. And if you're going to publish any kind of content on social media, it's going to be written for the most part. Um, so learn how to write concisely, well, and so that you make an impact on your 
target buyer. Um, the other one is Oren Claff. He wrote a book or published a book called Pitch Anything. And really, I mean, it's his book is more geared towards people that are looking for venture funding. I'm not. But um, the point of his book is how to tell stories so that people will fund your company. So it's not about facts and figures. It's about the stories you tell. And he's done that very, very successfully. And I'd recommend anybody that is telling stories um, to help their business, uh, whether it's getting new clients, whether it's putting out social media content, whether it's pitching a new client or whatever, um, Oren Class book, Pitch Anything, is a fantastic asset to have. So it sounds like you've got uh, communications as a major theme. Uh, it le- leads me to, have you read um, um, uh, Made to Stick? Um, I have not. I've Made not to Stick, that. Chip and Dan Heath. Put it on your list. I think it's going to be, you're going to love it because it really breaks down uh, what makes messages stick in the minds of people. I love um, it. Yeah, you, they're, they're both all every one of their works is is great. But I'll, I'm going to definitely pick up uh, pick up some of the ones that you recommended and give them a read. It uh, you got to keep your got to keep your mind sharp, Tom. I want to thank you so much for being on the show uh, today. And um, uh, please, as you get uh, more stuff built and more stuff put together, and thoughts about how your business is progressing uh, that you want to share with our audience, please reach back out, and we'll see if we can get you back on the show. I certainly will. Brian, thank you for having me on. It's It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Consulting Trap. If you have suggestions for future episodes or would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at brian at podcastchef.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at P-O-D-C-I-S-T-C-H-E-F dot com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our podcasting done-for-you service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com to find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your business to the next level. Hey, you. Yes, you. It's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet. Or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, We will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, What are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, Those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks. Thanks.